So it's easy to be a kind of global international person on the surface. Mm. But to have a local experience, to really be part of a local community, to really adjust to a society, that's much more difficult. Welcome to the Immigrant Experience in America, an immigrant human library, where we amplify and humanize the experiences of immigrants in the United States and around the world. Listen in as we add another story to our immigrant human library. Welcome to part two of the previous episode. There's this odd thing, really, that if you're living outside the United States, the, the presence of the United States in the world in, in many ways is quite large, politically, mm-hmm. culturally, Hollywood movies, music. I was at a Nepalese restaurant and watching a music video made in Nepal with Nepalese musicians and it was hip hop is sung in Nepalese, right? And so here is American culture coming back to me through a, a Nepalese music video. So American culture is an American uh, political presence is so big that many people outside of the United States have the feeling that Americans must be very international. It's quite the contrary. Well, though. big surprise, mm-hmm. <laughs> big surprise. Americans are often not very international. And in Japan, for example, and I think this is true in many countries, if you are from the outside, people will say, oh, you know, you're a guest here. So let's take care of you. In the United States, you you know, you come, you say, I'm from country X. People say, oh, that's cool. And there is not a special effort to welcome you to the United States as a foreign guest because Americans grow up with the idea that, well, humans are all basically the same, so we can just ignore all of that stuff and let's just be individuals. So what it means is they often don't know that much about the rest of the world and they don't think that they need to know. And of course, that's normal. You know, human beings naturally are local. Human beings are naturally local, and for Americans, that means being American. And so, yes. in the, you know, it's not that Americans are somehow worse than people in other countries. Every place is local, and America's the United States is no, is no, no different. And as you expressed that in Japan, people have the local newspaper and they're getting like local information, and that's their world. It's the same here. Right. It's the same here. It just happens to be that American culture is well known around the rest of the world at the same time that people who are here operate in a very local space. Right. So and I mean, I guess that comes from on the part of international education. Like, I mean, I know the Fulbright brings a lot of students here to study and the U.S. government's part kind of welcoming people through education and cultural exchange and things like that. So, and and then the music and Hollywood and all of that. So a lot of countries don't have that on that level, right? So I get that too. So I'm going into the next section to talk about how I came across you, which is through your podcast, the Deep Culture Podcast. Is there a story as to how that came about? I'm an educator and my area of education is intercultural education. So understanding cultural difference, understanding um, the experience of living in a foreign country, understanding how to work well with diverse teams. So all of this intercultural communication, intercultural education is my profession. During the pandemic, suddenly 
travel all stopped. In-person classes all stopped for me. I found myself sitting at home. I had been living this lifestyle where I was in constant contact with people from all over the world through my students who are, I teach many international students from all over. I was traveling internationally for my work. I was suddenly cut off. And I thought, what about a podcast? Is this a way that I can somehow continue to have this conversation about intercultural living, about the about foreign experiences, even though I'm in the pandemic. So that's how I started the podcast as a way to share my interest in foreign living and intercultural experiences. Okay, so that's the story behind the podcast, right? And the JII, how did that come about? Was this already existing or did you actually start JII? So I'm an educator. I work at universities, but about 15 years ago, I started a nonprofit, uh, the Japan Intercultural Institute, and we're dedicated to intercultural education. And we have uh, um, online courses. Uh, we have members who are generally intercultural educators. And uh, JII sponsors the podcast that I do and sponsors research. So many of my professional activities are not just through my university, but through this nonprofit. Uh, because I found that having a nonprofit allows me to have a community. And of course, I'm always interested in community. So that's my professional community uh, that is supporting the research and education that I do. In your books, you talk about deep culture or of having a deep experience. What is deep culture? Well, everybody knows that you can go to a foreign country and be a tourist and see the sights, but never really have a feeling for what it is to be a local. And deep culture is this hidden side of culture, the deeper part of values and assumptions that, that you can only get if you are having more of the local perspective. And I've always been interested in how it is that when we're having a foreign experience or going to a foreign country, how do we get beneath the surface? How do we have this deeper experience to understand more the local perspective and to have a deeper appreciation of the culture? And so deep culture is the hidden side of culture. It's the values and assumptions. We said before that Americans are not really aware sometimes of this kind of me, me, me part of American culture, but that's because they take it so for granted and they don't realize that that's cultural for them. That's just the way things are. So deep culture are these things which we just take for granted that they're culture, but we don't recognize it. And to be fair to people in the U.S., if you don't know how to self-promote and to show your uniqueness in this culture, you may not survive. I mean, that's just how it is here. So people, so little ones in school growing up are taught from early age how to give presentations, how to discover what they're good at. But basically, what is your strength area? Is, is a term that's very big in the U.S. You focus on what your strength area is 
and you focus your energies and career there, and that will make you stand out in the crowd. So in all fairness, I, I completely get it that, you know, this is just the culture that we live in and people have to learn to focus on their strength. And every society has those things. In Japan, children grow up hearing, don't do that. People are watching or don't do that. That's going to bother people. And so they learn to constantly look around them. Instead mm. of promoting themselves, they learn that you really have to pay attention to everyone else. In school, rather than give give a show and tell where you talk about something you're proud of, children serve food to each other in the cafeteria. And like everybody has their turn to be the one that serves and nobody starts to eat until everybody has been served and elementary school children clean the classroom because that's their their shared space which they're responsible for so that's just natural for japanese and so you're absolutely right deep culture is kind of soaked into us as we grow up at such a deep level that we just take it for granted and then, of course, when we're in a different society, we feel at some deep level that there are these differences. But one of the reasons, you know, we've been talking about how hard it can be to adjust. And the reason it's hard to adjust is because these differences are so deep. And they were such a deep part of us when we grew up that adjusting to them can can be very different. So that's what deep culture is. It's this very deep, unconscious shaping that culture does to us as we grow up. I remember coming across one of your interviews where you talked about how our automatic system is set from a child and how culture basically shapes that. And so, oh my gosh, I left thinking, what am I setting for my daughter? Is she in the right environment? <laughs> like, what is she absorbing to set that autopilot and how she will respond to things automatically, right? And so, wow, you left me with a lot of thoughts <laughs> after that interview. Yeah, I mean, it is, we do have an autopilot. You know, most of the time in our everyday life, we're on autopilot. When you, you know, you talk to people, you're at the store, you buy things, you interact. We're on autopilot for much of the day. Well, when you're in a foreign environment or when you're an immigrant, suddenly other people's autopilot settings are different than your autopilot settings. And so the things which came so naturally to you before suddenly are not natural and takes so much effort. And then if you want to adjust your autopilot settings, as you said, you know, how do I get used to this striving lifestyle? Well, then you've got your original autopilot settings and you're trying to adjust the autopilot settings and that creates some disruption so absolutely, you know, this with our with children, what are we doing to their autopilot settings? Yes, another conversation, yes, that we need to I'll keep listening to the research that you're presenting. You also talk about the hidden challenges to global living. What are they? Well, my first book was called Deep Culture: Hidden Challenges of Global Living and this just referred to the fact that it's easy these days to kind of get along in a foreign place. We have Google Maps, we have translation apps, uh, we have all the information that we need. You can prepare with YouTube videos. Uh, so it's easy to be a kind of global international person on the surface. Mm. But to have a local experience, to really be part of a local community, to really adjust to a society that's much more difficult. And so 
there is a kind of, you know, a kind of naive internationalism where people just assume that, oh, the world is all the global village and we're all connected. And so now everything is fine. But no, everything is not fine. And that's one reason that we have so much conflict in the world these days, because so many societies are now kind of pulling in on themselves. And they've said, no, we don't want this. We want local. We want national. The hidden challenges of global living are these deeper kinds of values. And, you know, ultimately, human beings are tribal. And I mean that in the sense of we are loyal to the people who are similar to us. And it's a natural tendency of human beings. So when the going gets rough, we want to be with people that are similar to us. And that's part of human nature. And to go beyond that, that is a challenge. And if we really want cooperation and collaboration in a global society, we need to understand these deeper differences between people. That it's not enough to say, oh yeah, I respect difference. Well, you say that you respect difference, but do you understand that difference? Could you adjust yourself to that difference? Could you live in this society? Could you change yourself to fit in with this other way of living? And that's a very different thing. To say that you respect difference or honor diversity is easy. To change yourself in some way in order to adjust to that diversity is a very different thing. Yes, definitely. Definitely. Very good point. You're also interested in how culture shapes cognition. In other words, how we think and how we experience the world. Are you saying that our brains are programmed by culture? Well, that's the autopilot, isn't it? Right? That we, you know, some people have this idea that the brain is kind of this machine, this this information processing machine, and it's just reporting the facts about the world. But that's not the way the brain works. The way the brain works is that the neural structures of the brain are shaped by experience. And our experience growing up shapes the cognitive patterns in our mind. So one of the examples is language. The language you grow up with is, in effect, programmed into your mind. And you will never lose that language. Now, you can learn a foreign language, but that foreign language will never be as deep in your mind as the language you grew up speaking. So in the same way that language is programmed into our mind at the deepest level, culture and our values and our way of seeing things is programmed deep in our minds. So here's an example. If I say, think about your mother. Now, what was she like? Now, my mother was kind of reserved. She's very proper, uh, very polite. Now, if you put me in an fMRI brain scan machine, and you put Chinese people in the same machine with the same task, you'll find that Americans white Americans like me, when we're thinking about our mother, our brain lights up as though we're thinking about a stranger the same way. But for Chinese, when they're thinking about their mother, their brain is activated. The patterns of activation are similar to when they're thinking about themselves. Mm. So the patterns of brain activation between Chinese and Americans are different in something as basic as thinking about their mother. So so our brain is programmed by culture, not in a kind of, it doesn't mean that because I'm this culture, I do this behavior. We're not robots, but it does give us 
our cultural glasses, the, the way that we look at the world, and it does shape our emotional qualities and it does shape our values in a very deep way. So yeah, it's kind of programming our autopilot. If you don't mind, I'll turn my light on. I see the light is dimming outside here. We're almost at the end, but I see it's getting dark in my end here. For just a second, please. Can I ask you a question? Sure. Did your daughter choose that wallpaper or did you choose that wallpaper? Because we've got this Parisian love and a bicycle, a little girl riding on a bicycle towards uh, the Eiffel Tower. So like, this is like, what a, what a symbol of international living. Oh, I did. <laughs> I did. <laughs> and then the other side of the wall has the ballet dancers and so forth. So yeah, my husband and I did. So we, I love the pink, but I bought this on Amazon. I just loved it. The scene in Paris. I've been to Paris. I, I studied French. So I'm not sure if I consciously chose it. Like if I was, you know, I was just drawn to it. I thought it was beautiful, you know, very playful. Well, you see your autopilot... <laughs> is has been programmed with this international mindset yeah and of course this is what you're passing on to your daughter mm-hmm. it's it's not only you know local you can pass on an international mindset as well yes and i hope we are we she's going to kindergarten and interestingly we were attracted we came across a lady in the grocery store who told us about this international school We were new to Georgia, just moved here. We had no idea. And she's going to this international school where they teach. It's a full immersion school where they have, I think it's Mandarin, German, French, and Spanish. And she's in the French track. (laughs) She got into the French track. Spanish was one because I could easily help her with that French as well. And Chinese was third. I thought that we would have had to hire a tutor to help us on that end. But I do want to pass that on to her, to this love of the world and uh, just respect for people's culture and just the intrigue that I feel like I've always had of other people. I'm always bringing somebody home. My cousins will tell you I was always bringing somebody home. So that's the intercultural mind. One of my books talks about the intercultural mind. And the intercultural mind is this recognition that other cultural worlds are real and that they are valid and that they're different, but they're just as valid as the world that you live in. And once you have this un- basic understanding that these other cultural worlds are just as real and just as valid as the one that you live in, it really creates this shift in how we live because we judge a little bit less and we become a little bit more open and we become a little bit more curious. And I'm sure that that kind of intercultural mind is, you know, is what you're passing on to to your daughter. Yes, I, I hope so. I hope so. I, I know she is in, excited to learn French and, and, and so forth. So I'm looking forward to, the, to that experience with her. Uh, so I noticed you mentioned about the Japan Intercultural Institute, the NPO that you have, and that there's also an online learning course, uh, the Master Class in Culture, Brain and Mind. Can you tell us a bit about that? Well, so this is a masterclass for cultural bridge people like us who are interested in having a kind of deeper understanding of the psychology of intercultural experiences, of understanding what's going on within us at a deeper level. So in this Brain, Mind, and Culture masterclass, 
we talk about cultural adaptation and cultural difference and how this shapes our minds. So anyone who's kind of wrestling with the things that we've been talking about today, like being a cultural bridge person, uh, this masterclass is for people like that to try and have a, a kind of more scientific understanding of this intercultural lifestyle that we have. That's why my podcast exists too, to have these conversations, to educate people. I'm looking forward to uh, dropping a few of your episodes into our feed to help our our audience understand these disorienting experiences that goes along with intercultural adaptation. A few last points to wrap up. Has it been worth it migrating away from California, from your mother country, as they say, the land of your birth? Has it been worth it? Absolutely. You know, for me, whether you leave home or stay at home, if you can find life challenge, a life challenge that gives you the sense that you've grown, then that's where we should be. So it's not about where you are. It's about how you're living. And for me, finding that life challenge was about coming to Japan. And so absolutely, it has been so rewarding for me. It doesn't mean it's not difficult sometimes, but that difficulty, you know, that's what makes us grow. Human beings need challenge to grow. I would agree. So it's said that success leaves clues and it sounds like your journey going to Mexico, then France, and now Japan for over two decades has been successful, I would say. What do you know now that you wish you knew at the start of your journey, of your immigrant journey? Don't expect it to be easy and stay humble, but be proud. I mean, you need to have a strong sense of who you are. You, you cannot throw away your identity. You need to have a strong sense of who you are, but you also need humility. And the world is not a very international place. The world is often a place where people don't understand you, where people see you as different, where people do not automatically know how you feel. If we have an international lifestyle or an immigrant lifestyle, at some level, we have to accept that human beings are not always going to understand us. But we can reach out and we can reach across that divide. We can use our superpower. But that means we have to have confidence in ourselves. but we also have to remain humble and just recognize that we do have to make that extra step. We do have to keep trying, but that's fine. Life is not fair, but it's interesting. It was interesting that you said that you need that identity which is basically part of your underlying roots, right? And you were born in the U.S., which is a, a country that supports that development of self and me. In a sense, it did help you if you think about it, right? Because you probably had a solid person of who Joseph is and probably what your strength area possibly were, or did you? Did you figure out that culture was your thing or is it over your lifetime? It just became like, wow, this is just my thing. Well, you're right that, you know, I did grow up with this idea that I had to discover my own path as an American and you know, I had to find success and be unique. And this is the way that I've discovered to do that. So you're absolutely right. On the other hand, 
I'm living in a country where people do not live this way. So in my everyday life, I have to give up this idea of promoting myself, of being the unique person. I have to be willing to blend in. I have to be willing to be silent. I have to be willing to let other people talk. So there's this irony that I have become myself by no longer being the person who's constantly striving to be myself. What a quote. (laughs) (laughs) That's a tweet right there. (laughs) So sometimes I talk to people who've lived between different societies or they grew up in different countries. And one of my joking questions is always, well, did it mess you up? And people will say, well, you know, kind of. I mean, because we have all these contradictions that we face, you and we've talked about, you and I have talked about this before, that we're constantly facing these contradictions and these inner conflicts. So how can we not grow as we deal with these things? Um, Yes. And that's where the humility and the word this year has been for me, surrender. Like really just surrender to um, whether you're a person of faith or you're a person who has no belief system or whatever. Just, you know, surrender to whatever the universe has for you, whatever the divine process is and not really struggle within that. Because life brought, I came with my parents, this is where I am find beauty in the now like Eckhart Tolle has been you might have heard me listening to him when you came on he's one of the authors that has really guided me in the last two years since my mom passed because I felt like I was just rushing through life and struggling with you know no I don't want that I want this and living for the next moment and missing out the beauty of what was happening now there's a lot of beauty here you know and so I I feel like I've been humbled and learned to just surrender to the beauty of what life is here in the U.S. and trying to become whoever I will become being a hybrid of the previous culture and this culture or third culture, whatever it is that I'm going to become will just, you know, it will naturally happen. So my wife who loves cooking will say that when you go to a new society, you're being put into a different kitchen. And so you've got different ingredients on the shelf, maybe some of the same ingredients, but you are still the cook. You're using the ingredients that are around you to make the dish that only you can make. So uh, I totally agree with you that we surrender to the fact that we are where we are and life is what it is. And then with those ingredients, we create something beautiful for ourselves. I think that's a wonderful sentiment. Yes, definitely. So I wonder if you have any parting advice for immigrants living in other countries around the world who might find themselves in a place of resistance or struggle. You know, I don't understand why this culture is like this. Why is it this way? (laughs) You know, because you can find yourself in that place at times and feeling like, you know, the culture you come from is superior to the one that you're living in or either way, vice versa. You you have these discussions in your podcast. What advice may you have to share with anyone who might find themselves in that struggle? First, that it can be very isolating Mm. to immigrate, can be very isolating to be in a foreign environment. And often our feelings of alienation or loneliness or sadness, we don't know where they come from. 
Mm-hmm. It's not that we have a specific problem that we can't solve. It's not that, you know, the ATMs work differently from back home or that I can't get the food that I want. It's it's more vague. And that can be so difficult to have this vague sense that something is wrong or that you're alienated or isolated. So first of all, just to accept that that is what you're feeling. We need to accept that our feelings, it's, it's okay to be stressed. It's okay to be frustrated. And to move beyond that really simply requires time and caring. We need to care about the people around us. We need to care about the place that we are. And every time we start to care about the things around us and our new environment, that helps us connect. And it's connections which help us get over this feeling of adjustment and stay connected to people back home, but keep building new connections in your new environment because it's connections which help us go beyond. I have to ask, was there any faux pas that you committed in Japan that you thought was just don't do this and you would recommend something in the immigrants coming into the U.S. Don't do this. This is really going to put you in a social hot pot or hot water. (laughs) Well, I have made any number of, of mistakes in Japan But most of the time in Japan, and I think that most of the time, those kind of social faux pas do not have a deep impact. If you say the wrong thing at the wrong moment, most of the time people understand that you're, you know, you're in goodwill. So don't worry too much about Mm -hmm. the social niceties. Don't stress yourself about it because we're always going to make some little faux pas. The bigger challenge is, you know, if that adjusting at a deep level can be very difficult. So it can be difficult to change the way we communicate or to change our values. That's the hard part. Now, have I made terrible mistakes in Japan? Yes, once or twice, I made very embarrassing mistakes. And I don't know if this is a suitable podcast for me to tell this story. But after being in Japan about a year, I was trying to make curried rice. And I had this curry and I was expecting it to get thicker because I was stirring and stirring and it wasn't thickening. And I didn't know, well, how long does it take for curry to get thick? Right. And and so I called the receptionist at the school where I was working, who was a young woman in her mid-20s. And I and I said in Japanese, and I was conversant but not fluent, I said, so I'm here in the kitchen and I'm cooking and I just wanted to know. And what I wanted to say was how long does it take curry to thicken. But I didn't know the word to thicken, but I knew the word to get hard, to harden. So I said, how long does it take for curry to harden? But I said, kare instead of kare. In other words, kare is a long E, but I said kare with a short E. Well, kare means boyfriend. So she freaked out. And she like said, what are you saying? What are you talking about? And I like switched to English and tried to explain. And But she always treated me with distance from that point on. I, I don't think, because sometimes people really don't understand that you can make an honest mistake and you say something offensive or different, you know, and people just, cannot really understand that this is cultural. So this has not happened to me very often, but on this one occasion, instead of saying, how long does it take curry to thicken? I ended up saying, how long does it take your boyfriend 
to get hard. Oh my god, is it that close? The two words? The word was so curry is kare and boyfriend is kare. Oh my gosh. And it just happens <laughs> that you were cooking curry. Yes. And wanting to talk to the oh my goodness, what is like the perfect storm, cultural storm? Yes, true story. Oh, wow. True story. Well, thank you for your vulnerability and sharing that with us. <laughs> I think we're all going to laugh and oh. and I'm sure all of us have our very own to share. But you know, that's the reality. Well, this is the I humbling part of the this experience. This is the humbling part. And I don't tell my students this story because, of course, it wouldn't be appropriate. So In Japan, I, right? Yeah, or even with students. You know, I'm not going to tell them some story like this. Anyway, so your podcast listeners are one of the only people in the world that get to hear my faux pas story. And I share these just to kind of help people kind of chill a little bit you know when these yeah. things happen like you know don't be too hard on yourself like no. you know it will get better it will pass and you'll learn from the experience and other people make them so don't be too hard on yourself is basically what I'm trying to do here thank you so much for your time I was here with you and I, I thank you for the journey that you took us on today I wish you well in your you. research and the 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 podcast and the JII and everything you're doing. So thank you so much for uh, this conversation and for the work that you're doing. And I will definitely mention you and your work uh, in my next podcast and in my newsletter for the Japan Intercultural Institute. And any of your listeners who are interested in the work that I'm doing, just check out the Deep Culture podcast. Uh, by the Japan Intercultural Institute. If you look for Japan Intercultural Institute, you'll find the Deep Culture Podcast. Check it out. Yes, and I highly recommend the Deep Culture Podcast. We'll be dropping a few of the episodes to share with you all, but please do check out uh, Dr. Scholl's podcast. It really does help you get an understanding of probably some of your own feelings, responses to things, and how other people might be responding to you when you're in a new environment, really. And uh, it really has helped me to um, put things into a framework that when people may do things that may come off as being rude and so forth, it's just sometimes that's the frame of mind they're in and how they see their own world. And sometimes they're for self-protecting and it's not necessarily meant to cause harm, even though sometimes it does. So check out uh, the Deep Culture podcast and the JII. Thank you so much, Dr. Scholes. We wish you much success and we'll be in touch. Thank you so much, Simone. And good luck with all of your intercultural adventures and those of your listeners as well. Friends, as always, please subscribe, comment, and share if you enjoyed this interview. If you're passionate about telling immigrant stories, our team is looking for help. If you're willing to help with podcast production, social media, or Patreon management, please reach out to us. You can also donate on our Patreon if it's easier for you. All the links are in the description below. Thank you. We thank our listeners around the world, and we appreciate your continued support as we build our human library. Please remember to give us a five-star review, subscribe, and share with your friends, family, and circle of influence.